In Matthew 4.19, Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Join us in this conversation as we discuss following Jesus, leadership, and doing life with others. Welcome to the 419 Disciple Makers Podcast. I hope you're doing well today. This is Mark Danzi, and I'm your host on this uh, 419 Disciple Makers Podcast, and so we're so glad that you joined us. We have been um, walking through the master plan of evangelism together over the past several weeks as we look at Jesus' method and his model for discipling the Twelve, which, hey, it's really a plan that we we can use today. You can use it in the in your place of business or in your home, certainly at your church. And today we find ourselves on the subject of reproduction, the spiritual reproduction. This is the last chapter or the last step. It's step eight of uh, of Jesus' plan, according to Robert Coleman. Next week we're going to look at the epilogue, though, and just kind of put a big bow on all of this uh, together. But Today, we just want to look at reproduction and how are the disciples that you and I are investing in now reproducing. And um, we, as you may know, we reproduce of like kind. And so a, an apple tree that produces an apple has a seed in it, and from that seed, of course, bears more apples. And it's just that way. And so a, a follower of Jesus, a, a lover of God, who invests their life into the lives of others, plants those seeds should be reproducing like kind. And so Jesus in John 15, uh, all throughout the whole chapter, the whole chapter really is about producing fruit. It's about reproduction, spiritual reproduction. And so we know that with all that Jesus did with these disciples for those, say, three-plus years, his expectation of them is that they would reproduce. They wouldn't just take all the knowledge and experience and at the end go, well, that was really nice. I've learned a lot more now. I feel so much smarter, and now I'm going to go back and fish. <laughs> no, not exactly. That wasn't his plan for them. Now, they thought about it, but of course, he redirected them into a life that was certainly more on purpose and more fruitful. But Jesus expected them to reproduce. Have you ever thought about that? Do you think Jesus is expecting us today to spiritually reproduce our life in the lives of others? Well, if we look at his plan, uh, he intended for his disciples to produce his likeness in and through the church uh, being gathered out of the world. So Jesus comes along and he invests in these 12 with the sole purpose that out of this, the church would be birthed, and not only birthed, but would grow and grow into maturity and would spread all over the world. And it would happen because of the expectation he had on them to reproduce. Folks, I think it's the same thing today. I think God is expecting us um, to to have that end in mind, is that we would multiply our faith into the lives of others, and that would spread all across the world. You may say, Mark, hey, I'm I'm an accountant. You know, I I go to church. I'm not, (laughs) I don't think uh, I have that kind of spiritual capability. Well, you know what? Those early disciples, they were fishermen and tax collectors and carpenters and all kinds of things. They weren't. Uh, they didn't have the sight of the world um, in their minds either. But God wants to do something big, and God wants to do it through you, and it's going to come through this concept called discipleship. And so this strategy that Jesus had, which culminates in reproduction, uh, is, is the conquest of the world was only a matter of time uh, and, and their faithfulness to his plan. So the two factors would be time and context. If the disciples would commit to this plan, it would be only a matter of time before the gospel spread all around the world. 
And look, it worked. The gospel has, and now it's not gone to every single tribe and nation. We're still trying to do that. But primarily, most of the globe, a lot of the globe, Christianity has spread. And so Jesus did not expect that everyone would be saved, of course. He recognized realistically that rebellion uh, is is still working in our hearts in spite of grace. So not everybody that hears the gospel message is going to receive it. But those who do receive it experience eternal life, and with that eternal life, it should reproduce more eternal life in the lives of others. Think of it this way. Some of us as Christians, we really just are like the person who joins the team, and they really don't want to play on the field. They just want to wear the jersey, you know? They just want to be seen in the locker room and standing on the sideline. But if the coach ever asked them to actually get in the game, (laughs) they'd run the other way. I think that happens every Sunday in churches all over our country, all over the world, where we want to show up, we want to be counted, we want to we want the title of Christian or we want to wear the jersey. But when the time comes for us to actually get on the field and play the game, we run and hide. Well, this was not uh, what Jesus had in mind, of course. Jesus was confident that his plan would work if those who called him Lord would actually take the field. How about you? Are you content with just being involved in a church, or are you content with maybe teaching a Sunday school class or going on an occasional mission trip or kind of wearing the jersey of Christianity, or do you want to be out there in the game? Well, to get in the game, of course, it's just a matter of saying yes to the Lord, studying the life of Jesus, and being obedient to what He called us to do. And so the acid test, so to speak, of our discipleship plan, the plan that you have or the plan that I have, is, is it reproducing? Will it carry on beyond us? If you're just flipping a coin or hoping so, then that means you don't have a plan. But if your plan is focused on reproduction, you can trust that under the power of the Holy Spirit, God is going to carry it on into the lives of people you and I will never meet this side of heaven. And so think back to the moment when Peter uh, is asked the question there in front of everybody at Caesarea Philippi, when Jesus says, you know, who do people say that I am? And of course, they came up with some names, John the Baptist, Elijah. And then Jesus, with his piercing eyes, must have looked right at Peter and said, who do you say I am? Now, we assume that Jesus, uh, Peter just spoke up out of the crowd, but what if Jesus was looking right directly at him and asked that question? Who do you say that I am? Peter responds there in Matthew 16, um, you're the anointed one. You're the, the Christ, the the Son of God, you're the Messiah. And then Jesus looks at him and says, of course, well done, changes his name from Simon to Peter, which means rock or Petros. And then he says this, upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, there's a lot of scholarly debate about that. And some would say that he was saying that upon this rock uh, there at at Caesarea Philippi, what's known as Bania, actually there is this huge rock, and it was a place where lots of different cults and cultures came to worship. They actually worshiped Pan there. And so Jesus takes them to the Mecca of these multiple faiths, so to speak, kind of that coexist mindset that every religion leads to heaven. And Jesus asks them, who do you say that I am? Peter says, you, not many, (laughs) you are the Christ. He says, upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, in some faiths, we think that he was talking about Peter, you know, well, upon Peter, uh, being this leader, you know, he'll build the church on Peter. But, you know, I don't see it that way. I believe it's upon this revelation 
this, this rock-solid revelation that Peter had that Jesus is the way, I believe he meant on that I will build my church. And you and I have that revelation, don't we? That Jesus is the Son of God, the Anointed One, uh, the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through Him. And we believe that with all our heart. And when we believe that, that revelation, I believe it can only come from God, then God is going to build His church, and He's going to build it on that revelation in us. In other words, He's going to use us to build the church. Well, how? Through spiritual reproduction in the lives of other people. It's just that simple. Jesus loves the church. He died for the church, of course. He's actually more um, generous with the church or with his father than he was the church. Think about it. When the disciples asked him how to pray, he started with saying, Our Father. But when he talks about the church, he says, My church. I will build my church. Jesus is very protective of the church. The church is still the only institution in the world that is eternal. It is our responsibility and our great privilege to grow the church. But how are we going to do that? We're going to do it through making disciples one at a time, investing our life in the lives of others. We live in an age now, though, especially in the U.S., where church growth, uh, growing the church, it is big business. You can go to conferences, you can read books, you can take classes. It just seems that growing the church is on the mind of all every leader. But listen, Jesus never called the disciples to build the church. Think about that. He said he would build the church. He told them to make disciples. I believe with all of my heart, and I'm a pastor, I serve a church, but I believe with all of my heart, my responsibility is not to grow the church, it's to grow the kingdom. My responsibility is to make disciples, and in making disciples of Jesus, he is going to grow the church. So you can stop going to all of those church growth conferences now if you're a pastor or reading all those books. You can put your nose to the grindstone of making disciples, and the church will grow. we got to get back to that original plan. And so the success of his plan was to win the world, but it would hinge on the disciples being willing to carry out his plan in his way. I would say so many people in ministry today are so burned out because we're trying to reinvent the wheel. We're trying to do things in our way or new ways, and yet we refuse to look at the way Jesus did it. But I believe his plan is still relevant. It still works. I see it all the time. It's just a matter of us getting serious enough to do it his way. And so even though this original group was really small, if you think about it, it wasn't many people, but the mission was huge. Go into all the world? Think about that. And so the real test of leadership is, does the work carry on after the leader is gone? We've said it many times on this podcast that Jesus did not have a plan B. It wasn't like he and the Father, Holy Spirit would get together and go, you know, if this doesn't work, we got to come up with something else. (laughs) No, he had one plan. And the plan was, is that after he was gone, the work would multiply And man, was he right. It worked. And so the illustration that he used on the last night of his life on earth, we see John 15. Now, now John is interesting because almost a third of his gospel is one night. Think about that. Jesus lived for, you know, 33, 34 years, depending on who you're talking to. And yet a third of John's gospel is about one night. What a night that must have been. 
From John 13, he starts um, washing the disciples' feet, the upper room. He institutes communion. They take a stroll in John 14 where he says you're going to be persecuted, but the Holy Spirit's going to take care of you. And then in John 15, before he goes into the Garden of Gethsemane, he uses these illustrations around the vine and the branch. You know them. And he makes it clear through this passage, though, that the life-sustaining power of the vine was not to be wasted endlessly on lifeless branches. I mean, any branch that was going to live had to bear fruit or it would be cut off. Let me read to you some of John 15, starting in verse 1. He says, I'm the true vine. My father's the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes it away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Abide in me, verse 4, and I in you, as this as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words remain in you, you can ask whatever you desire and it'll be done. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. So he uses this illustration around reproduction, which is what we're talking about today. And he made it clear that if a branch that's connected to the vine is not reproducing, it's cut off. Now, I don't know exactly what that means for you and I, but I do know this, that a barren Christian is a contradiction. If one says, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, yet is refusing to reproduce, there's only a couple of reasons for that. One is they're so new in the faith that they have no idea what they're doing and they need to be trained. Or... Theirs just simply have their eye off the ball. Robert Coleman says that as leaders, we need to do an autopsy on fruitless branches. In other words, don't promote a fruitless branch to leadership just because they have secular knowledge in a subject. In a church, oftentimes we'll take people who maybe have a financial background or a real estate background or maybe a leadership background, and we'll elevate them into positions of leadership, and they've never made a disciple of Jesus. I mean, if a, if a branch is fruitless, you know, don't put it center stage. Jesus said it's actually removed. <clears throat> That's pretty harsh, right? Yeah, it's harsh. But he wasn't mincing his words. See, you and I are saved from something, and we're saved for something. We're saved from eternal separation from God, and we are saved for reproducing our life spiritually in the life of others. This alone will grow the kingdom of God which is what God's desire has been. And so leadership uh, really was the emphasis of Jesus' ministry. Sure, he taught. Sure, he healed. Sure, he fed. But he was focused on leadership. That was the emphasis of his ministry. And sharpening the responsibility of of leaders uh, with his disciples especially, that was his purpose. Because true biblical leadership is is when a leader leaves the scene, the ministry should grow, not diminish. If a pastor leaves a church and it starts to decline, that's evidence that he was not a good leader. So the mandate that we have from Matthew 9, we see, is praying for workers to come. Jesus reminds his disciples that he'll send forth laborers into the harvest. But yet there's no use for us to pray for the world, uh, but we are to pray for laborers to go into the world. I mean, that'd be like praying for the condition of marriages all around the world to be healed yet refusing to do the things we need to do to save our own marriage. It's easy to look out there 
and be critical or, or fearful, what's difficult is to look deep within us and say, am I willing to do what Jesus has called me to do, which is be a disciple who makes disciple makers? I mean, this is leadership. This is what discipleship is. This is what Jesus had in mind for you and for me. The great result of spiritual reproduction is evident in this question. Are those who followed us to Christ now leading others to him and teaching them to make disciples like ourselves? I mean, Robert Coleman says in this chapter, I'll quote him, he says, what really counts in the ultimate perpetuation of our work is the faithfulness with which our converts go and make leaders out of their converts, not simply followers. You see, it's not about making followers. Uh, it's about making followers who lead followers. Dawson Trotman, uh, the founder of The Navigators, uh, always had this famous question, and if you've been involved in The Navigators, you know it. He'd always say, especially to men, you know, who's your guy? Who are you personally discipling? I, I know a pastor, I was actually talking to him yesterday, and was hearing his faith journey, and he said this. He said he was on a tour of Israel uh, back in, uh, I think, the late 2000, or 2009, 2010. And he said he was walking along in the Galilee area, and the leader of the, uh, of the tour was, was, was walking and talking and teaching and all of this. And he said they were walking through, and at the end of that tour there in the Galilee, uh, the guide looked at them and asked the group this, so who are you discipling? And then, of course, they got back on the bus and went to the hotel. But my friend said that that question just hit him right between the eyes. It just sat deep in his chest, and he couldn't shake it. Well, good news is now he is discipling, and he's a disciple maker, and he's involved in all the uh, ministries that are about spiritual reproduction. But here he was, a pastor in Israel, when he finally got convicted enough by the question, who are you discipling? Let me ask you that question today. Who are you discipling? Are they real people? Are you, do you have a plan? Are you intentionally investing in them? Uh, next week, we're going to wrap that up and talk a little bit more about that. But isn't that a good question? I mean, times have changed, of course. You know, uh, we're not all able to go to Israel and walk around the Sea of Galilee to be convicted like my friend or even like the early disciples. Uh, but Jesus' simple methods um, ha- have literally gotten confused by modern ministry. I mean, the basic, these basic principles that he used will still work if we'll reclaim them and then simplify our method as he did. So when, when Jesus came on the scene, his approach was actually remarkably refreshing. And the religious world that he walked into was so complicated. I mean, things had handcuffed folks, uh, rituals and rules and all this stuff. But the thing that was so refreshing about Jesus was that he taught simply. He lived simply. He led simply, and he teaches us that discipleship really is a simple process. I mean, investing your life into the lives of others for the purpose that they would mature and multiply. Isn't that simple? Well, it's not easy, (laughs) but it is simple. Coleman said that Jesus' plan has not been disavowed, just simply ignored. And so the biggest issue facing the church today, uh, as we see the church declining in many ways around the world, is Because we've been focused on growing the church, Jesus never told us to grow the church. He said he would build his church. He told us to make disciples. Maybe, I don't know, but just maybe we've gotten our wires crossed. We've been focusing on the wrong things. And so the church will continue to decline on a program-based ministry. If we just think that providing programs for people to come to and hopefully if they go through it, they somehow grow— 
That's not the focus or the plan that Jesus had when he told the disciples to go make disciples. So where do we go from here? Well, let me give you four things from this chapter that I think might help. Number one, assess your reality. Is what you're actually doing, is it intentionally focused on making disciple makers? If it is, keep doing it. If it's not, just stop. Say no. And Lamont said that no is a complete sentence. The second thing is to offer up assessment. I mean, sacrificing our programs, uh, our programmatic mentality might feel like offering up Isaac on an altar. The way we've always done church and always done faith and education and things like that, you know, it's time to just put some of them to rest for good so that we can say yes to Jesus's model of pulling together four or five or six people in our homes weekly or in our offices weekly to invest in them and teach them everything we know about living for Jesus. Three, prayerfully develop a plan. Reach out to someone who has experience um, in this process and get some coaching, some guidance. That's why we exist at 419 is we want to coach you. We want to encourage you. We want to help you learn in your context how to make disciple makers. I have a friend who has a ministry called Narrowgate, and that's what they do is they go into churches, they talk with pastors and individuals, how to create a disciple-making culture. Not a church growth plan, not more programs, but disciples. Finally, the fourth, when you come up with that plan, execute the plan with an open heart and an open mind. And I'll caution you that this, you may experience in disciple-making the very thing that has lulled your ministry to sleep, and that is this principle, that at the beginning of a ministry or movement, we typically have low experience and high dependence. Let me explain what I mean by that. When we first start out as disciple makers, we don't have much experience, but we know we've got to fully rely on God. And so we have low experience and high dependence. But here's what happens I see that gets people off track is once we get this experience, our dependence on God goes down. So with high experience sometimes comes low dependence. Don't let that happen to you. We have to rely on the Lord to lead us in this process of making disciples. Don't forget It was his plan and his mandate. And so we cannot live on yesterday's bread or blessings because God's mercies are new every morning. My encouragement to you today as we end this uh, session is really reconsider the eight principles. If you haven't listened to them all, go back and see how each one of those could be developed into your own personal plan of disciple making. You don't need to be a pastor. You don't need to go to seminary to learn this. You can just do it on your own. Now, at 419, we want you to go to the website because we have lots of resources there that'll help you, videos, teachings. Uh, But we would ask you to continue to listen to this podcast so that you would be encouraged. Next week, we're going to put a bow on this whole study, and then we're going to get back to interviewing folks uh, as we have uh, historically done here most of the time. We've got a fascinating man coming up who ministers to Native Americans all Uh, from from South America to Central America to North America, and how he's bringing the gospel into their lives. And so that's coming up in a couple weeks I want you to listen to. But invite a friend to this podcast. Give us your questions or your feedback. Go to the 419disciplemakers.org website and peruse around and see if you can find something that will help you in developing your plan. It's been so good to be with you. I pray that from this day forward, your life will bear much fruit showing yourself to be a disciple of Jesus. God bless. 
For more information, check out our website, 419disciplemakers.org. Join us again next week as we continue our conversation on the 419 Disciple Makers podcast.